Thanks, Jim. Um, well, good morning. Um, apparently, Jim told you to wave at me, so here's a wave for you. Welcome from me this morning on what was supposed to be my last day for the second time. Um, you'll all be wondering if I will ever leave, and who knows, but now you know that I'll be here for the next 12 months because apparently digital communications is quite important right now. Anyway, First Peter. First Peter is a book filled with Jesus and inviting us to respond to him. Last week, Jim looked at the first little chunk of the letter um, and we got to hear Peter reminding those he's writing to about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Today's talk is a follow-on. In this passage, we continue to get reminded of how amazing the good news is and we get to dive into Peter's first words on how we can and we should respond. And that's my main point for today. This amazing good news of what God has done for us requires a response. God's invitation to relationship is an invitation to holiness, to being set apart for him and devoted to him. This good news of God's love for us deserves a response. So let's hear today's passage, which my friend Shin is going to read for us. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you called on a father who judged each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass wither and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Shin. This is so good. 
I honestly feel like we could do worse than to just read this passage again and then call it a day. Um, however, Jim doesn't let me get out of preaching that easily. So here we go. The pattern I see in this passage is response, good news, response. The first response section refers back to Jim's talk last week, which was all about how good the gospel is. And then we hear more about the gospel, reminding us how amazing it is and how it's worthy of responding to. And then we have this final response section that gives us some more guidance on what to do with it all. So to make things nice and simple, I've got two main sections this morning. We've got gospel and response. And response is where I want to spend more of our time this morning, but I feel that it is really important that we first set our sights back on Jesus and what he did for us. I think our reading of how the Bible says that we should live needs to always be read through the lens of what God did for us and his, as his love for us. So gospel. The gospel just means the good news the good news of Jesus. Last week in verse 3 we read, according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Jim did a great job of unpacking this last week, so do go listen to that on our podcast or watch the service back on YouTube. Um, but I just wanted to point out a couple of things for the sake of context and explaining what the gospel is. The gospel is God's mercy to us. He has enabled us to be born again, to restart a life, a life in relationship with him. And this is possible only through God's rescue plan for us, which was Jesus being put to death and raised to life, and with him, all of us. And now we've been born again with hope for eternal life with God and access to an inheritance here and now. When we talk about inheritance, we're talking about the rights we get as children of God, of the gifts that he gives us, and honestly, the gift of all is that we get to be in relationship with him. How amazing is the gospel. Then this week we read about how we have been ransomed, verse 18. We have been saved from the empty life we inherited from this world and its culture and its systems. He is bringing us back into the abundant life he made us for. And this whole thing is permanent. It was bought not with what will fade away, not even with the best of the best of worldly materials, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Verse 18 and 19 say, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the final lamb. There is no going back. It cannot be undone. So let's pause and just let that all sink in for a second. We get to be in relationship with God the Father and we are given a wonderful and perfect inheritance. 
We get access to God's protection and provision. We get authority that comes with being the child of a king. And we get to ask for things and receive supernatural gifts and so on. We get to begin to live the life we were made for. How amazing is that? How amazing is the gospel? For anyone who's new to this whole thing, the gospel is great. It's real good news and it's exciting. And I'd love to invite you to explore it more. You know, chat to a friend or you can drop us a line. Uh, we'd love to help you on this journey. And for those of us who are not new, who are so familiar with this stuff, the gospel is still good news. And it's still exciting. I know that when we've been around a while, we can kind of become used to it, like the novelty wears off or something. But it really shouldn't, because it is and it always will be good news. Jesus, God the Son, died for you. Take that in. He took every bad part of all of us onto himself and put it to death forever. Also, we once again can be in relationship with God. And not just relationship once heaven and earth are one, but relationship right here. It is great news. And Peter follows it at the beginning of this morning's section of his letter with a therefore. We have a wonderful reality of our restored relationship with God. Therefore, in response, we need to change the way that we're living. Honestly, if we think that we don't need to do anything, but just sit behind a screen and tune into an online church service to be in relationship with God, we've got it wrong. If we think that it's perfectly fine to not surrender our whole selves and have our behaviours challenged, then we've misunderstood the gospel and we've misunderstood who God is. We are called to be obedient and we are called to be holy. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Obedience and holiness carry a lot of baggage for some. Some of us shrivel when we hear those words and we resist them because it feels like rule following and lists of things we shouldn't do. But that's not it at all. That's what happens when we forget about God's fatherly love and what he did for us. So if we're the squirmy type on the subject of obedience, then I think we need to just swallow our pride a bit and remember that the relationship God offers us is good news. It is amazing. God's love for us is amazing. And he calls us to obedience and holiness, not to have a bunch of robotic rule followers, but for the sake of real loving relationship. You shall be holy for I am holy. Let's be obedient to God calling us to holiness. 
We need to be holy because God is holy. God is so good. He is so powerful. He is so perfectly pure that it's terrifying to be in his presence when we are not. And we see stories of these encounters all throughout the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 6, he has this vision where he sees the Lord and he literally thinks his life is over. He says, I'm doomed from a sinful man. I have filthy lips, yet I've seen the king. He then has an angel press a burning coal to his lips, which takes away his guilt and it purifies him so he can stand to be in God's presence. And in Luke chapter 5, Peter witnesses a miracle of Jesus and he falls to his knees and he cries out, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. The miracle gives Peter a glimpse of what it is like to be in the presence of the Lord. And he recognises that what is in him is not worthy of being in the presence of God. Being in God's presence is terrifying if we don't come willing to surrender willing to turn to him and ask for forgiveness, willing to be made holy. This is God we're talking about, pure and perfect. We shouldn't think or expect that we are able to come to him on our own terms. Coming into God's presence is a little like when we were children you know, brought in front of a parent because we'd done something wrong and, you know, we knew that we'd done it and they knew that we'd done it and we knew that they knew and it was just, you know, doesn't your stomach just turn thinking about it because mine does. Coming to God's presence can be a little bit like that because his holiness is so intense and his goodness is so good that we wake up to how not good and not holy we are. In his pure presence, we are confronted with our messy impurity. But, but he is so kind and he has so much grace, like buckets and buckets full. And like the parent who just longs for their child's best and loves them so completely, he wants to reset and renew our relationship with him and our holiness every time we come into his presence. So then, what does it mean for us to live as a holy people? It means for us to live set apart. That's what holy actually means. For us to live set apart from the sin of the world. But even more than that, it means for us to be devoted to God. Devoted in our time, our energy, our priorities, and even our money. When you're in a relationship with someone, a parent, a friend, or a romantic relationship, you honour them. It's part of your love and your affection for them. You devote your time to spending with them, to doing things for them. We prioritise them and their needs, often above things like we might want to do. We spend our money on them. We devote our stuff and ourselves to those we care about. So, well then, are we devoted to God? Yes, we need to set apart ourselves from the things that he tells us to avoid. But have we then actively devoted ourselves to him? That's the call. To 
holiness, to loving obedience in relationship with God. And when we are obedient and holy in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, and in everything we do, not just when we feel like it on a Sunday, but every day, in everything, when we do this, we reflect his presence and we welcome his presence even more. And oh my days, his presence is so good. We need it. So in everything, be holy. Or another way to look at it is, live in a way that doesn't break our Father God's heart. But instead, let's live in a way that invites him more and more into our everyday lived experience and pushes out more and more of the things we think and say and do that wound him as a father who wants the best for us and the world around us. Holiness is a big concept and can seem overwhelming with where to even start. So Peter gives us a bit of a leg up. He says, we're in chapter two, verse one now. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Getting rid of these behaviours is the beginning of holy living, of living right in light of who God is and what he has done for us. When we read this, I think we need to be honest with ourselves. Are we responding to God's offer of loving relationship by living right? Am I rid of all evil behaviour? Am I done with all deceit, with hypocrisy, with envy, with talking about someone in a way that would hurt them if they had heard it? Anyone else feeling a bit uneasy? We have high call to holiness and we don't measure up. But God knows that and he thinks we're worth working on. In his purity and holiness, God the loving Father made the way for our relationship with him, knowing what we're like, but wanting better for us. And so, in love, he continues to purify us so that we can stand in his presence. And we don't need to have it all sorted before we go to God. He made the first move. In Romans 5, 8, verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wants you as you are, and he wants to transform you. As we often say in the vineyard, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Finally, Peter urges us to be holy, not to tick some religious box and not to win God's approval, but as a loving, obedient response to God says, do these things if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. When I read this, I was like, that's quite sarky, Peter. Like, if you really have tasted that the Lord is good, then you'll do these things. But he's kind of got a point. If we aren't doing these things, 
if we aren't challenging our behaviors and willing to have them challenged, if we, aren't, if we aren't working our holiness, then have we tasted that the Lord is good? Have we actually got that he is good and that he's worthy of holiness? Have we understood what he did for us? Have we mistaken God's call into a pure and loving relationship with him for some transaction? Because it's so much more than that. Being obedient to the call to holy living is the right and loving response to the God who loves us enough to come after us in all of our mess, to purify us so that we can be in his presence and who promises to carry us along the journey, constantly pouring out his mercy, his grace and his forgiveness. And don't get me wrong, it is hard but it is so worth it. He, because of who he is and what he did for us, is worthy of a response. So let's pray. Thank you, God, that you made a way for us to stand in your presence as your sons and as your daughters. Thank you that you never give up on us but that you constantly pour out your grace, your mercy and your forgiveness. I pray that we would never lose our wonder at the gospel and that we never forget that the good news is good news. Lord, help us as we travel the path of holiness with you, as we grow deeper in loving relationship with you. Come and cleanse us from within, even now, Lord, and bring your transforming presence here. We long for more of you, Jesus. Amen.